Section 23 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Street Jewesses and Street Jew Girls I have mentioned that the Jewesses and the young Jew girls, compared with the adult Jews and Jew boys, are not street traders in anything like the proportion which the females were found to bear to the males among the Irish street folk and the English costermongers. There are, however, a few Jewish females who are itinerant street sellers as well as stall keepers, in the proportion perhaps of one female to seven or eight males. The majority of the street Jew girls whom I saw on a round were accompanied by boys who were represented to be their brothers, and I have little doubt such was the facts. For these young Jewesses, although often pert and ignorant, are not unchaste. Of this I was assured by a medical gentleman who could speak with sufficient positiveness on the subject. Fruit is generally sold by these boys and girls together, the lad driving the barrow and the girl inviting custom and handing the purchases to the buyers. Intending a little stall or a basket at a regular pitch, with such things as cherries or strawberries, the little Jewess differs only from her street-selling sisters in being a brisker trader. The stalls with a few old knives or scissors, or odds and ends of laces, that are tended by the Jew girls in the streets in the Jewish quarters, I am told there are not above a dozen of them, are generally near the shops and within sight of their parents or friends. One little Jewess, with whom I had some conversation, had not even heard the name of the chief rabbi, the Reverend Dr. Adler, and knew nothing of any distinction between German and Portuguese Jews. She had, I am inclined to believe, never heard of either. I am told that the whole, or nearly the whole, of these young female traders reside with parents or friends, and that there is among them far less than the average number of runaways. One Jew told me he thought that the young female members of his tribe did not tramp with the juveniles of the other sex. No, not in the proportion of one to a hundred in comparison, he said with a laugh, with young women of the Christian persuasion. My informant had means of knowing this fact, as, although still a young man, he had traversed the greater part of England hawking perfumery, which he had abandoned as a bad trade. A wire-worker, long familiar with tramping and going into the country, a man upon whose word I have every reason to rely, told me that he could not remember a single instance of his having seen a young Jewess travelling with a boy. There are a few adult Jewesses who are itinerant traders, but very few. I met with one who carried on her arm a not very large basket filled with glasswares, chiefly salt cellars, cigar ash plates, blue glass dessert plates, vinegar cruets, and such like. The greater part of her wares appeared to be blue, and she carried nothing but glass. She was a good-looking and neatly dressed woman. She peeped in at each shop door and up at the windows of every private house in the street in which I met her, crying, Clo, old clo. She bartered her glass for old clothes or bought the garments dealing principally in female attire and almost entirely with women. 
She declined to say anything about her family or her circumstances, except that she had nothing that way to complain about. But when I had used some names I had authority to make mention of, she said she would with pleasure tell me all about her trade, which she carried on rather than do nothing. When I hawk, she said with an English accent, her face being unmistakably Jewish, I hawk only good glass, and it can hardly be called hawking, as I swap it for more than I sell it. I always ask for the mistress, and if she wants any of my glass, we come to a bargain if we can. Oh, it's ridiculous to see what things some ladies, I suppose they must be called ladies, offer for my glass. Children's green or blue gauze veils, torn or faded, and not worth picking up, because no use whatever. Old ribbons, not worth dyeing, and old frocks, not worth washing. People say, as keen as a Jew, but ladies can't think we're very keen when they offer us such rubbish. I do most at the middle kind of houses, both shops and private. I sometimes give a little money for such a thing as a shawl or a fur tippet, as well as my glass, but only when I can't help it, to secure a bargain. Sometimes, but not often, I get the old thing and a trifle for my glass. Occasionally I buy outright. I don't do much, there's so many in the line, and I don't go out regularly. I can't say how many women are in my way, very few. Oh, I do middling. I told you I had no complaints to make. I don't calculate my profits or what I sell. My family do that, and I don't trouble myself. Of the Synagogue and the Religion of the Street and Other Jews The Jews in this country are classed as Portuguese and German. Among them are no distinctions of tribes, but there is of rites and ceremonies, as is set forth in the following extract, which shows also the mode of government from a Jewish writer. Quote, the Spanish and Portuguese congregation of Jews, who are also called Sephardin, from the word Sepharad, which signifies Spain in Hebrew, are distinct from the German and Polish Jews in their ritual service. The prayers both daily and for the Sabbath materially differ from each other, and the festival prayers differ still more. Hence the Portuguese Jews have a distinct prayer book, and the German Jews likewise. The fundamental laws are equally observed by both sects, but in the ceremonial worship there exists numerous differences. The Portuguese Jews eat some food during the Passover, which the German Jews are prohibited doing by some rabbis, but their authority is not acknowledged by the Portuguese rabbis. Nor are the present ecclesiastical authorities in London of the two sects the same. The Portuguese Jews have their own rabbis, and the German have their own. The German Jews are much more numerous than the Portuguese. The chief rabbi of the German Jews is the Reverend Dr. Nathan Marcus Adler, late chief rabbi of Hanover, who wears no beard and dresses in the German costume. The presiding rabbi of the Portuguese Jews is the Reverend David Meldola, a native of Leghorn. His father filled the same office in London. Each chief rabbi is supported by three other rabbis, called Diamon, which signifies in Hebrew, judges. Every Monday and Thursday, 
the chief rabbi of the German Jews, Dr. Adler, supported by his three colleagues, sits for two hours in the rabbinical college, Beth Hamidrash, Smith's Buildings, Leadenhall Street, to attend to all supplications from the German Jews, which may be brought before him, and which are decided according to the Jewish law. Many disputes between Jews in religious matters are settled in this manner, and if the Lord Mayor or any other magistrate is told that the matter has already been settled by the Jewish rabbi, he seldom interferes. This applies only to civil and not to criminal cases. The Portuguese Jews have their own hospital and their own schools. Both congregations have their representatives in the Board of Deputies of British Jews, which board is acknowledged by government and is triennial. Sir Moses Montefiore, a Jew of great wealth, who distinguished himself by his mission to Damascus during the persecution of the Jews in that place, and also by his mission to Russia some years ago, is the president of the board. All political matters, calling for communications with government, are within the province of that useful board. End quote. The Jews have eight synagogues in London, besides some smaller places which may perhaps, adopting the language of another church, be called synagogues of ease. The great synagogue in Duke's Place, a locality of which I have often had to speak, is the largest, but the new synagogue, St. Helen's Bishopgate, is the one which most betokens the wealth of the worshippers. It is rich with ornaments, marble and painted glass. The pavement is of painted marble and presents a perfect round, while the ceiling is a half-dome. There are besides these the Hamburg Synagogue in Fenchurch Street, the Portuguese Synagogue in Bevis Marks, two smaller places in Cutler Street and Gunyard Houndsditch, known as Polish Synagogues, the Maiden Lane Covent Garden Synagogue, the Western Synagogue St Albans Place, Pall Mall, and the West London Synagogue of British Jews, Margaret Street, Cavendish Square. The last mentioned is the most aristocratic of the synagogues. The service there is curtailed, the ritual abbreviated, and the days of observance of the Jewish festival reduced from two to one. This alteration is strongly protested against by the other Jews, and the practices of this synagogue seem to show a yielding to the exactions or requirements of the wealthy. In the old days, and in almost every country in Europe, it was held to be sinful, even for a king, reverenced and privileged as such a potentate then was, to prosecute any undertaking before he heard mass. In some states it was said in reproach of a noble or a sovereign, he breakfasts before he hears mass, and to meet the impatience of the great, hunting masses, as they were styled, or epitomes of the full service, were introduced. The Jews, some eight or nine years back in this country, seem to have followed this example. Such was the case, at least, as regards London and the wealthier of the professors of this ancient faith. The synagogues are not well attended, the congregations being smaller in proportion to the population than those of the Church of England. Neither, during the observance of the Jewish worship, is there any especial manifestation of the service being regarded as of a sacred and divinely ordained character. There is a buzzing talk among the attendants during the ceremony, and an absence of seriousness and attention. 
Some of the Jews, however, show the greatest devotion, and the same may be said of the Jewesses, who sit apart in the synagogues, and are not required to attend so regularly as the men. I should not have alluded to this absence of the solemnities of devotion, as regards the congregations of the Hebrews, had I not heard it regretted by Hebrews themselves. It is shocking, one said. Another remarked, to attend the synagogue is looked upon too much as a matter of business, but perhaps there is the same spirit in some of the Christian churches. As to the street Jews, religion is little known among them, or little cared for. They are indifferent to it, not to such a degree indeed as the costermongers, for they are not so ignorant a class. But yet contrasting strongly in their neglect with the religious intensity of the majority of the Roman Catholic Irish of the streets. In common justice, I must give the remark of a Hebrew merchant with whom I had some conversation on the subject. Quote, I can't say much about street Jews, for my engagements lead me away from them, and I don't know much about street Christians. But if, out of a hundred Jews, you find that only ten of them care for their religion, how many out of a hundred Christians of any sort will care about theirs? Will ten of them care? If you answer, but they are only nominal Christians, my reply is, the Jews are only nominal Jews, Jews by birth and not by faith. Among the Jews I conversed with, and of course only the more intelligent understood or were at all interested in the question, I heard the most contemptuous denunciation of all converts from Judaism. One learned informant, who was by no means blind to the shortcomings of his own people, expressed his conviction that no Jew had ever been really converted. He had abandoned his faith from interested motives. On this subject I am not called upon to express any opinion, and merely mention it to show a prevalent feeling among the class I am describing. The street Jews, including the majority of the more prosperous and most numerous class among them, the old clothesmen, are far from being religious in feeling, or well versed in their faith, and are perhaps in that respect on a level with the mass of the members of the Church of England. I say of the Church of England because of that Church the many who do not profess religion are usually accounted members. In the rabbinical college, I may add, is the finest Jewish library in the world. It has been collected for several generations under the care of the chief rabbis. The public are admitted, having first obtained tickets, given gratuitously, at the chief rabbi's residence in Crosby Square. Of the Politics, Literature and Amusements of the Jews Perhaps there is no people in the world, possessing the average amount of intelligence in busy communities, who care so little for politics as the general body of the Jews. The wealthy classes may take an interest in the matter, but I am assured, and by those who know their countrymen well, that even with them such a quality as patriotism is a mere word. This may be accounted for in a great measure, perhaps, from a hereditary feeling, the Jew could hardly be expected to love a land or to strive for the promotion of its general welfare where he felt he was but a sojourner and where he was at the best but tolerated and often proscribed. But this feeling becomes highly reprehensible when it extends, as I am assured it does among many of the rich Jews, 
to their own people, for whom, apart from conventionalities, say my informants, they care nothing whatever. For so long as they are undisturbed in money-getting at home, their brethren may be persecuted all over the world, while the rich Jew merely shrugs his shoulders. An honourable exception, however, exists in Sir Moses Montefiore, who has honourably distinguished himself in the relief of his persecuted brethren on more than one occasion. The great of the earth no longer spit upon the gabardine of the Jewish millionaire, nor do they draw his teeth to get his money. But the great Jew capitalists, with powerful influence in many a government, do not seek to direct that influence for the bettering of the lot of their poorer brethren, who at the same time brook the restrictions and indignities which they have to suffer with a perfect philosophy. In fact, the Jews have often been the props of the courts who have persecuted them. That is to say, two or three Jewish firms occasionally have not hesitated to lend millions to the governments by whom they and their people have been systematically degraded and oppressed. I was told by a Hebrew gentleman, a professional man, that so little did the Jews themselves care for Jewish emancipation, that he questioned if one man in ten, actuated solely by his own feelings, would trouble himself to walk the length of the street in which he lived to secure Baron Rothschild's admission into the House of Commons. This apathy, my informant urged with perfect truth, in no wise affected the merits of the question, though he was convinced it formed a great obstacle to Baron Rothschild's success. For governments, he said, won't give boons to people who don't care for them, and though this is called a boon, I look upon it as only a right. When such is the feeling of the comparatively wealthier Jews, no one can wonder that I found among the Jewish street-sellers and old-clothes-men with whom I talked on the subject, and their more influential brethren gave me every facility to prosecute my inquiry among them, a perfect indifference to, and nearly as perfect an ignorance of, politics. Perhaps no men buy so few newspapers, and read them so little, as the Jews generally. The street traders, when I alluded to the subject, said they read little but the police reports. Among the body of the Jews there is little love of literature, they read far less, let it be remembered, I have acquired all this information from Jews themselves, and from men who could not be mistaken in the matter, and are far less familiar with English authorship, either historical or literary, than are the poorer English artisans. Neither do the wealthiest classes of the Jews care to foster literature among their own people. One author, a short time ago, failing to interest the English Jews to promote the publication of his work, went to the United States, and his book was issued in Philadelphia, the city of Quakers. The amusements of the Jews, and here I speak more especially of the street or open-air traders, are the theatres and concert rooms, the City of London Theatre, the Standard Theatre, and other playhouses at the east end of London, are greatly resorted to by the Jews, and more especially by the younger members of the body, who sometimes constitute a rather obstreperous gallery. The cheap concerts which they patronise are generally of a superior order, for the Jews are fond of music, and among them have been many eminent composers and performers, 
so that the trash and jingle which delights the costermonger class would not please the street Jew boys. Hence their concerts are superior to the general run of cheap concerts, and are almost always got up by their own people. Sussex Hall in Leadenhall Street is chiefly supported by Israelites. There the Jews and General Literary and Scientific Institution is established, with reading rooms and a library. And there lectures, concerts and so on are given, as at similar institutions. Of late, on every Friday evening, Sussex Hall has been thrown open to the general public without any charge for admission, and lectures have been delivered gratuitously on literature, science, art, and general subjects, which have attracted crowded audiences. The lecturers are chiefly Jews, but the lectures are neither theological nor sectarian. The lecturers are Mr. M. H. Breslau, the Rev. B. H. Asher, Mr. J. L. Levison of Brighton, and Mr. Clark, a merchant in the city, a Christian whose lectures are very popular among the Jews. The behaviour of the Jew attendants and the others, the Jews being the majority, is decorous. They seem to like to receive information, I was told, and a gentleman connected with the hall argued that this attention showed a readiness for proper instruction when given in an attractive form, which favoured the opinion that the young Jews, when not thrown in childhood into the vortex of money-making, were very easily teachable, while their natural quickness made them both ready and willing to be taught. My old clothes-buying informant mentioned a Jewish eating-house. I visited one in the Jew quarter, but saw nothing to distinguish it from Christian resorts of the same character and cheapness, the plate of good hot meat costing fourpence and vegetables a penny, except that it was fuller of Jews than of Christians, by three to two, perhaps, and that there was no pork in the waiter's specification of the fare. End of section 23